If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 19. About 14 years ago, Lauren and I, right after we got married, uh, went to Africa on a mission trip. And we, uh, one of the mission efforts we did that week uh, was to play the Jesus film in this particular dialect in Uganda uh, that, um, so that the gospel could go out to these villagers that were there. After the movie was over and we gave a gospel presentation, Lauren and I were walking about a half mile back to our tent, and it was pitch dark on this little narrow road, and as we were going back to our tent, there was a group of men who had seen the movie and heard the, uh, heard the gospel presentation and began to mock us and revile us and actually uh, uh, spew threats at us, and it was quite... Uh, unnerving, to say the very least. It was the first time in my life that I had realized that following Christ comes with a price. Uh, The world does not always love those who do. And as Peter has been helping us see throughout this letter, this is the context of the Christians who are in exile. They are dealing with persecutions because of the name of Christ. And one of the things we're going to see in this text today is that fiery trials will come upon those who bear the name of Jesus. Uh, We've seen this in chapter 4, verse 4, when they said that we're maligned, we're maligned for the name of Christ, when we don't participate in evil deeds, we're slandered because uh, of our good works in chapter 3, we are reviled against in chapter 2, and here we are insulted for the name of Christ. Beloved, if I could encourage you this morning, it's to, be rem- it's to remember that uh, Christ is with us in our suffering, and if we bear this name, the name of Jesus, that we are to expect that some of this will happen to us. I'd also like to give an encouragement to each of us this morning that in the times that we live in, We do need to gird gird up uh, our hearts and our minds, knowing that we're going to suffer all the more for the name of Jesus in the times that we live in. So as you hear the word preached today, I would encourage you to have your hearts strengthened by the faithfulness of God, because he is with us. The main idea that's driving this passage is simply this. As Christians, we endure suffering, first for God's glory, and ultimately for our joy. And that's what Peter's going to hit at this morning. Now, there is a question that sort of drives the passage, and I'm going to propose it, and then each of the points will be related to this question. Knowing that fiery trials come upon us, how are we to respond to these trials? Because they will come upon us, and that's how our points are formed. First in verses 12 through 14, then in verses 15 through 18, and then lastly in verse 19. So let's look at the first point of how we should respond when fiery trials come upon us. Expect fiery trials and rejoice. And this is where we get that heading. Look with me in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share the sufferings of Christ, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory 
is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Uh, Notice how he addresses this section of the letter first. He says, beloved, these are those who are loved by God. These are the chosen exiles of God, Uh, the holy uh, uh, nation, royal priesthood, God's beloved people. And he's saying, do not be surprised when fiery trials or unjust suffering comes upon you. He's referring here to the idea that's found in Proverbs 27, refiner's fire. Don't be surprised when refiner's fire comes upon you, but rather expect them. It might seem strange when a test upon you comes. It feels strange to us, but it is not strange. In fact, we see God uses trials as a tool to refine us and to prove our genuine faith. We see this all the way back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, that the tested genuineness of our faith occurs, and it's more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, which also means that when some are tested in the faith, they prove to be counterfeits. Uh, there's, a, there's certain faiths that abdicate trusting in Christ and bending to the rhythms and the philosophies of the world. And we see here in verse 14 the context of these trials. It's for those that bear the name of Christ, those who suffer because of that name. And so I want to keep our, our trials that we're talking about here uh, associated with the name of Christ. So he says, don't be surprised, but then he gives another command, rejoice as you share the sufferings of Christ. Uh, What does it mean to rejoice at such a thing? It's to have pure, deep, spiritual merriment, knowing that you are bearing the name. If Christ was reviled, beloved, we will be reviled as well. We've used this example throughout the book of 1 Peter, but it's like when the apostles were beaten for the name of Christ in Acts chapter 5, and they rejoiced. They rejoiced because they could not get over the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for that name. It is significant. It's different than to enjoy Uh, Rejoice and enjoy are not the same things because we see all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6, that trials grieve us. He's not saying that we will like it, but we are to rejoice. The word here for trials, it means to test you and to prove that you belong to the one who purchased you. It's meant to have a positive outcome uh, of your faith. And so rejoice. It displays that you belong to him. You're bearing the name of the one who bought you. So rejoice when you share in the sufferings of Christ. And remember, Christ was rejected. He suffered for you. He died on the cross for you. And this is the basis for how his followers are going to be treated. Now, we're not filling up in some measure the atonement it's completely paid for in Christ. That's, that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying we share in the sufferings of Christ because we are 
in Christ. Our identity is with Christ. We have union with Christ. We hold his word and we, tr- we hold his truth and we preserve his message. And therefore, where we go will still be an aroma of death to some, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're in him and we, and we shouldn't be surprised by this but we should rejoice because it shows that we're with him in our suffering and we're with him in glory. So why rejoice? Well, we can now rejoice because we bear his name. But look what it says at the second part of verse 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Simply saying this, how we respond to suffering now is an indication of how we're going to respond when Christ returns. If we rejoice and expect suffering now, and we hold tightly to Christ now, it's an indication that we are longing for and waiting for Christ to return, and we will rejoice at that sight because we will recognize that we are delivered from the very sufferings that we are currently enduring as we bear his name and It's incredible what Peter says here. He says, in fact, you are blessed when you are reviled. You are blessed when you suffer for his name. And how can he say this? Well, look what Peter says. Because it shows that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It confirms that you have been marked off as one of his own. And that the spirit of God is in you and you are preserving And you are bearing the testimony of his name. And ultimately, this leads to the genuineness of faith. And so we are to expect and to rejoice at these things. What does this this look like uh, practically? Well, first and foremost, uh, we want to respond in three quick, simple ways just for application when we think about this. First, trust in the goodness of God in trials. First, we have to trust in the goodness of God. Trials trials are not meant to throw us off balance in our faith. He tells us here that we are going to suffer, yet we are not to be surprised. That means we're not to doubt the goodness of God when we go through suffering. Is it not true that when we go through suffering, we immediately think God has abandoned us? That's our natural implication, like a natural response to suffering. Where are you, God? Where is your help? Why haven't you delivered me? What is happening? Uh, If you are good, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Beloved, we are to be aware of that false gospel of blessing the way that the world defines it. So many people who bear the name of Christ or claim the name of Christ have been lulled to sleep by the idea that God is good And proof that God is good is based on the circumstantial things that we have or the good things going on in our lives. But the Bible has no such category for blessing. For he's saying here, you are blessed if you are persecuted for the name of Jesus. You will suffer and it shows that you bear his name and that means that you are blessed. Beloved, you are blessed when you are in Christ, and that dismantles the prosperity gospel that is around us. Be assured, too, 
that there is encouragement to the one who bears the name of Christ because you are now following him in his suffering. So, so we don't want it to seem while we go through these trials that God is not good. No, God is making us like him. And he is increasing our faith as we walk through this. And uh, number two, quickly, prepare to suffer. Prepare to suffer for the name of Jesus. Well, how, how do we do this? Well, first and foremost, we want to commit to living in righteousness for Jesus. We want to commit to living the right way that God has called us to live. If you remember Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, that, that part of the Sermon on the Mount that Peter is just pulling from, a, a lot of this material in this, this letter is from the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says, and that Peter heard with his own ears. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Uh, notice what he says here. He, he says you'll be persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's not specifically saying you'll be persecuted for the name of Jesus. It, it, it might be that we're standing for something that Christ has designed or something according to his word, and, and people revile us or slander us. It could be your family, your work, whatever the situation is. And it's not necessarily true that they're going to say, I'm reviling you because you bear the name of Jesus. But you might be holding to something that is true and right according to God's word, and you're offering it up to Christ and you will be maligned for doing so. But commit to this. Jesus says many will call our righteous acts wicked. It's what he says in John 16 too. Whoever kills you thinks they're going to be offering sacrifices to God. So be aware of this. Knit your heart to righteousness for Christ's sake, and we do this by making sure our words and our works are formed by Christ and for Christ. And here's the reality. We do this whether or not one other person acknowledges it or not. We do this for Christ. We prepare to suffer for him. Root yourself in Christ. I, I love this quote by the Waldensians, these 12th century French Christians. They said, we have jewels still more precious than anything you have seen. We would be glad to show them. Um, also, we have a precious stone, the word of God. It is so brilliant that by its light, a man may see God. Know the words of Christ all the words of Christ. It's one thing to admit that the word of God is true and good. It's another to know that the word of God is completely and utterly sufficient in every word and sentence of its syntax and construct. Be committed to know who Christ is and live in righteousness accordingly. When our thoughts and our words and our works conform to his word and will, it will often be met by slanderous comments or reviling or persecution, as he's suggesting here. So we need to set our minds on being, accepting that we will be rejected. If you struggle with the fear of man, uh, you can say goodbye to the fear of man if you bear the name of Jesus. 
because it's not always going to be accepted. I was talking to a sister even this week whose family has essentially uh, not ministered to her or supported her the way that she would want to be supported because of her faith in the Lord Jesus. So if you bear that name, be ready to bear the reproach. I think another way we can bear this and be prepared for it is to read books about God's faithfulness displayed in the martyrs. Not because men and women are great who have testified to God in the midst of persecution, but because God is faithful to his people when they are being reviled. And it encourages us to know that God will care for those who belong to him. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs if you've never read that and see God's faithfulness. There's a great book called Trial and Triumph. You can order it off Amazon. See God's faithfulness when those who bear the name of Jesus are reviled. And then thirdly, we need to be willing to suffer. No place in Peter's writing does he leave room for the Christian who is unwilling to suffer for the one who suffered for him. This is the response of those who follow Jesus, knowing that their lives have been redeemed, knowing that their sins have been forgiven, knowing that they have eternal life in Messiah. They're saying, I'm following him and I'm saying goodbye to everything else. So be willing to suffer for Jesus. Expect it and rejoice in it when it comes upon you. Do not abandon him because he will not abandon you. Now, does this mean that we go looking for suffering? Of course not. It says don't be surprised. It doesn't say go seek suffering. Do not provoke others for the sake of getting their response and then calling it persecution. Certainly possible that you can be rejected by what comes out of your mouth and claim that it's martyrdom and it not be. Remember, our responses is not to revile, it's earnest love, it's honor uh, to those who are over us in authority. That is how we bear in doing good works. Now, it, Peter even gets this idea in verse 15. He helps us understand this a little bit more, which sets up point two for us. How should we respond to the fiery trials? Well, point two is simply this, endure suffering for Christ's glory without shame. Don't be responsible for the trials. That's what he's going to say in verse 15. Look with me there. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we will suffer when we bear the name of Christ, but as it says in verse 15, don't cause your own suffering by your own sin. He, he lists murder and theft, two, two commandments uh, from the Mosaic law first. Uh, don't, don't do these things and let suffering come upon you. Uh, and he kind of pro progresses from heavier sin to maybe a little bit lighter sin. Do not suffer for doing evil and don't even meddle. Don't do anything in sin that would cause some suffering because that is not the suffering that glorifies Christ. And it's actually not gospel suffering. What is meddling? It's when people are in other people's business. They think they have solutions. Uh, they're trying to get information. He says, don't bring suffering on yourself in that way. Uh, ultimately, this is foolish and it's, and it's unwise and it's actually harmful. So don't do this. Peter's encouraging his readers not to attract hostility. 
Yet if you suffer, and he says, if you suffer as a Christian, you see that phrase there, Christian? There's only three times in the whole Bible that the term Christian is used, twice in Acts and once right here. Those who follow Christ, those who live according to God's words, God's truth, God's grace, God's deeds, he says, do not be ashamed, but rather glorify God in that name. Meaning, glorify God in your response. Glorify God because you are a rep of his from heaven. There is no need to be ashamed for the word of Christ if suffering comes upon you. Uh, Shame is a tool or a tactic that society uses on the Christian to make them feel bad in their suffering. And it was happening here to the exiles, and it's happening still here today in the 21st century. Blandina, who was a martyr of lions in the year 177, uh, was shamed or was attempted to be shamed for bearing the name of Christ uh, under the rule of Caesar uh, at that time, who was Marcus Aurelius. She was murdered, or excuse me, martyred, And her martyrdom was justified because they claimed she had offended their Roman gods. Uh, They were shaming her for not believing in the gods that, that they believed in. In fact, they would address her while she was in the middle of the arena in Lyons and calling her godless. Listen to me. You are godless. You think you're godly, but you are godless. And over the next several days, this woman, Blandina, had her bones broken. Her body was completely dismantled. She was hung on a post with wild animals. She was stuck uh, stuck with daggers. Uh, She was completely messed with, taken back and forth uh, from the jail at night to the arena in the morning for several days. All while these men who did this taunted her. And they would say, curse Christ. Recuse yourself of the responsibility of being a Christian. Tell us all the wicked deeds the godless do, they would shout. And she would reply this, I am a Christian. We do nothing to be ashamed of. We have nothing to be ashamed of as we bear the name of Christ. The Father is not ashamed of the Son. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, through their word, do not ask us to do anything that is shameful. But rather they encourage us and they equip us and they allow us to live holy lives with earnest love, following the Son's example as we entrust ourselves to the Father just as the Son did. But we need to be on guard with that tool of shame as a Christian Because no doubt we will be tempted as a Christian for the shame that society says that we're bringing on them by holding to the truth. But we have nothing to be ashamed of. Do you remember that Jesus told his disciples that the world hated me before it hated you? Don't be surprised when the world hates you. And we can't be surprised when the world hates us. So in your non-reviling, Christ-trusting, Christ-bearing posture, do not be ashamed. Beloved, what is better than God's glory on display in this wretched world? 
because that's ultimately what he's pointing to. Don't be ashamed, but glorify God. Don't suffer for your sin. Suffer for the one who covered your sin. And in so doing, God is glorified. When the world sees the character of God on display, they don't know what to do with the character of God if they are not his son or daughter. So don't be ashamed, don't be surprised. And look what he says in verse 17, this suffering actually begins with us. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here Peter says that judgment begins at the household of God just after he has said that we will be reviled for the name of Jesus. Well, we could suffer for bearing the name of Jesus. But judgment here, and I think this is important for us to understand, judgment here, though it's beginning at the household of God, it's not referring to condemnation. This judgment is a judgment that results in, in either a good or bad evaluation. Where is the faith? What is coming out of the person when suffering happens? And this is a little bit of a recalibration for us because often when we think of the judgment of God uh, regarding his people, we associate our judgment with Christ who absorbed our uh, sin and judgment of God upon the cross. And that is completely and utterly true. But we also want to see in the New Testament that Christians will actually go through suffering. They will actually go through judgment as they bear the name of Christ in this world. I I think the book of Romans speaks of this explicitly, chapter 14 and, and other places. But we'll get through the judgment that we endure because we bear the name of Christ. It's ours. The glory is ours ultimately because Christ has claimed us as his own. I think of Romans 8, 17. We are heirs with Christ provided we suffer. Provided we go through some judgment, provided we go through some hardships for the sake of his name to prove that we belong to him. This is what the Old Testament called refiner's fire. The judgment of God has has always started with the people of God. We we see this in in Jeremiah chapter 25. We see this in Ezekiel 9 in places like Zechariah. 13, Malachi 3, refiner's fire always begins first with the people of God. Now, in the Old Testament, judgment began at the household of God because the people were breaking the Mosaic law. But here, Peter is saying that judgment is beginning and they're living holy lives. The people are being purified in their faith and in their Christ-likeness Be because of this. So it, it, it's different, but there's, there's nothing to fear because he's with us in this, those who obey the, the gospel of God. Those who belong to him will be scarcely saved. Now here's what Peter is inferring here, that God uses wicked, wicked pagan societies to purify his people to test his people. 
like a goldsmith with gold. That's the logic of the test, the text. This judgment here is not referring to a penalty that God's people have to endure, but rather a sorting out of who God's people are. And that's not exactly easy for us to listen to with our sensibilities in today's culture. But this is what Peter is writing about. It's a sorting out of people. And if Christ was rejected by men, but accepted by the Father, we will be rejected by men and we will be accepted also by the Father. And this judgment that happens is not a judgment that leads to death. And that's where our soul is secure. But it is a judgment that leads to death and eternal separation for those who are not in Christ. That's what he's saying right here in verse 18. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Those who do not obey the gospel. Now, scarcely saved very quickly here means we are saved with difficulty. This idea comes out of Proverbs uh, chapter 11. There's a great work that uh, takes place in the life of the Christian to save them through this judgment that happens. But remember what God's word says. He started the salvation. He caused the salvation in verse 3 of chapter 1. He keeps us uh, from... While we walk in this life, before we receive our inheritance, through his own power, he guards it with faith, and ultimately he will give us what we receive, what, we, what is uh, entitled to us as his people. He will complete the project, like it says in Philippians 1.6. The wicked will not be saved. The Christian is saved Scarcely, through many, many trials, we will enter the kingdom of God. That's what it says in Acts chapter 14. A few ways to apply this truth to our hearts. We need to admit first that we need to be refined by fire. Each of us, all of us, actually need to be refined by fire. Uh, admit you need to be judged in this way. Uh, we are made in God's image, but we are born in iniquity. Our, our unbelief showers us, and our rebellion is ever-present within us. And ultimately, God will not mix gold with other metals. He will make us pure through this sanctifying process, through his word and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. This is what God does for his people, and we need to be mindful of this, that he's extracting from us these impurities, these sinful desires that we have, and that's for his glory, and it's for our good. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 13? The way is hard, and it's narrow, and few find it. But God pre preserves his people who put their trust in the cornerstone. Number two, if you belong to God and he has caused a salvation to be uh, given to you, remember you will not be consumed by fire, though you will be refined by it. Those who are in Christ, those who hold to him, those who profess him will not be consumed by this fire. Be encouraged. Though refined, 
you will not be consumed. Remember in Malachi 3, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Isaiah 43, those who have been given the name of God will not be consumed. Matthew 25, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And the goats are going to be with him in eternal life forever. Even be encouraged by passages like Mark 13. Even while we suffer in this world for the name of Christ, he's cut the day short for the sake of the elect so that they will not refute the name of Jesus. So, beloved, hold tightly to Christ when they call you evil because you believe certain things about Christ as revealed in his word. Hold tightly to Christ when you say to others that he is the only way to be saved. Uh, Beloved, hold tightly to Christ when you are maligned for not participating in the deeds of the godless. Beloved, hold tight to Christ when we uphold a biblical sexual ethic that the world is making fun of right now. God designed two genders And he designed sex between a male and a female. And he designed for sex to take place in covenant relationship. And that is where our joy comes from. No matter what the world says, this is the truth revealed in his word. And so they're going to malign. They're going to slander. Even if you're you're standing for it and you're not even saying the name of Jesus, they're going to malign it because they don't like the design of God. Hold fast to Christ. He's holding fast to you. You will not be consumed by the fire. And be motivated. Be motivated to glorify God. Be faithful to Christ. Seek to glorify God. You will suffer a little while on this earth, but you, as we've said, will not be consumed. So offer your whole life to Christ. Everything that you have, all of your decisions, uh, your children, uh, your whatever status you are in life right now, whatever repercussions certain decisions have because you're making decisions based on righteousness' sake and not on the fear of man. Seek to glorify God and trust yourself to the one who's going to care for you no matter what. Now, are these fiery trials easy? No. In fact, they're incredibly difficult. It was, however, through hostility that Christ was rejected and taken to the cross. It was through the hostility of men that a a way was made for their hostility to be atoned for. Uh, You remember what Paul says of us, we were alienated and hostile in mind in doing evil deeds, but we were reconciled to God through Christ, the blood of the cross, and those who believe in him will be brought back into fellowship with the Father. Hold to these things. If Christ was mocked and shamed, then glorified, we too who bear the name of Christ will be mocked, scorned, sanctified and glorified ultimately for the glory of God and our good. So the sons and daughters, we endure. And how do we endure? How do we endure to the very end? Well, that's in the final point very quickly in verse 19. And trust your soul to a faithful creator and do good. 
That's really the summary of this passage, and I would even argue, potentially, it's the summary of the entire book. So maybe highlight it. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust yourselves to God. Your suffering, your vexations, they're according to God's plan for you to make you more like him. Therefore, be comforted. He's over you. He has not forgotten you. Run to Christ. Hide under that cornerstone that was beautifully described in chapter 2. And you'll find safety there. You might suffer for a little while, but ultimately the judgment of God that falls on those in mankind who do not belong to him, you will be safe from. Entrust yourself. And look what he says to a faithful creator. He is faithful. He will care for you. He loves you. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you have done, entrust your soul today to this faithful creator. It's interesting that he used the word creator. A creator uh, suggests that he's over it all. Everything in your life, he's governing and he's never surprised. It might feel like his eyes are off of you, but his eyes are always on the righteous. Remember this, beloved. Remember the gospel of Christ today. Even while you suffer, it's only for a little while, and it pales into comparison to the glory that you will receive when you see Jesus Christ come back to rescue and redeem and bring in his people for all time. Just a few ways to respond today. Simple. It's super simple. Trust him. Trust him. Trust his word, like we said, every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Trust his grace to you, that there's nothing you have done in this life that cannot be forgiven if you turn to Christ. Remember that. Trust the process of refining. Trust that this is good for you. Trust that it's his plan for his people and rest in Christ's work. Number two, Commit to him. For the Christian, that means that we commit every day. We recommit to Christ every day because he has made that ultimate commitment to us through Jesus. So we can endure. We can wake up knowing that today might be difficult if we are faithful before the Lord. If you are not in Christ, if you are caught up in the misery of your sin today, if you're an angry reviler, and you're confused by how life is working, and you're hopeless, we want you to know that Christ bore sin of his people on the tree, and he took the full judgment. And to now be a part of his people provides eternal life forever and ever. You turn from your sin and you put your trust in Christ rather than in yourself or in anything in this world today. Third, do not forsake him in the mild judgment because there's a greater judgment that's coming. It's hard to be a Christian. Be on guard. Bear the name. Expect it. Rejoice when it comes. He is being glorified and you are making, being made more into the image of the Son. And finally, conclude. The judgment we receive bearing the name of Christ it ought to give you some assurance that
that you belong to him. You belong, if any of you have ever been reviled because of the name of Christ and you responded with love and you continued to pursue and you prayed for that person, it is proof that the spirit of God rests upon you. Be encouraged today. You belong to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It gives us hope even while we suffer for bearing the name of Christ. Father, it's a heavy word, but you provided your son who did the heavy work in bearing our sin. And you've made us your people. You are with us. You care for us. You love us, Father. You are making us into your people, Father. Would you purify us? Not seeking it, but God, would you make us into a people who will rejoice at the return of Christ. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.